Thank you for tuning in to Valley Rise Church. We're so glad you decided to join us today. For more information on sermon series and service times, you can visit us online at valleyrisechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Elevations in the song, Here Comes Heaven. Joel, enjoyed that song they did for you guys, Here Comes Heaven. Man, they did so phenomenal today. You guys get better and better every single Sunday. I'm blown away. Um, but I, I really love this series because what I've realized is just like the earth and things begin to, to prepare for Jesus to come, there's things in our life that we can prepare and begin to do to allow Jesus to come in our own lives. So that's what we're going to begin to unpack this whole month and follow that process up until the point when Jesus actually does come and here comes heaven. So, hey, Christmas season is upon us. How many of you are Christmas lovers? How many of you, how many of you are Grinches? You're like, no, I could do without Christmas. I know you're not brave enough to raise your hand. It's okay. Now, here's the real question. Here's the real test of if you love Christmas or not. You can't say you love Christmas if you have a fake tree in your house, okay? Don't, don't even at me. Don't tell me how your allergy. Maybe if you have a child with severe allergies, I'll give you a break, okay? But other than that, don't tell me you love Christmas and you don't have pine needles all over your house. Like, people are like, the needles are everywhere. I'm like, that's what I love, though. I love the needles everywhere. I like finding them in my bed. I like walking in the morning in my bare feet and pulling them off. And it's frustrating, but it only happens once a month, once a year. And I'm like, oh, you know what? It's Christmas. I like these pine needles on my feet all of a sudden. So... I love everything about Christmas. We do, uh, how many have kids? You do, you do some of the fun stuff for your kids. You do Elf on the Shelf. Any of you Elf on the Shelf? You know the Elf on the Shelf thing? Okay, well, here's, here's unless, so we do Elf on the Shelf, and the whole thing is the elf watches the kids, and then he um, goes and reports to Santa, and Santa reports to Jesus in our house. So, uh, he, and he tells them if, if they've been good enough to get, you know, some, some good presents, and so... Um, the elf moves around the house. Um, less, less than any of my son's friends are in the room and tell him how the elf moves around the house. Um, I, he just kind of jumps around from place to place, and they love it. Every morning they wake up, and they're like, the elf is on the deer head. How did he get there? I'm like, well, I killed that deer, first of all. Second of all, I don't know. I guess he flew up there. And then uh, Eli woke up the other morning. He comes out. He goes, I saw they call him Elfie. I saw Elfie move last night. I'm like, you saw him? He's like, it was just like a flash. Like I saw a flash in front of my room. I'm pretty sure that was him. I'm like, that was probably him. You're probably right. So um, we have fun with it. We have fun with Christmas. We love Christmas. But really Christmas, as we all know, is about enjoying and embracing the celebration of Christ's birth and the moment that changed history forever. The moment that not only shifted heaven and earth and changed eternity, but changed each and every one of our lives. That we wouldn't be sitting here unless Jesus had come. And so I love Christmas. I love to celebrate it. Today we're going to be talking about Luke 1, 5 through 25. And this is the beginning of when the Jesus story happens. This is the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And this is when we begin to see the earth and heaven prepare for Jesus to come down. And there's some things that happen. I love this story, and we're going to break this down. During the reign of King Herod, the great over, overseer of Judah, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah who served in the temple as a part of the priestly order of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also from a family of priests, being a direct descendant of Aaron. They were both lovers of God, living virtuously and following the commandments of the Lord fully. But they were childless since Elizabeth was barren. And just so you know, in, in, the, in, in that time period, if you were barren, it was like a curse. People looked at you like God had cursed you. If you had no children, it obviously must mean that you've done something and so God has cursed you. So this was a horrible position they were in because not only was she in a priestly family, he was a priest and they were childless. 
So uh, they were, Elizabeth was barren, and now they were both quite old. Let me tell you what quite old means. Theologians say they were like between 75 and 80. That's quite old. Like how many of you know if you're 75 or 80, you're not preparing for children, you're not worried about a crib, you're not thinking about chasing a two-year-old, you're, like, you're, you're not worried about any of that, okay? Um, and now they were both quite old. One day, while Zechariah's priestly order was on duty, and he was serving as priest, it happened by the casting of lots according to the custom of priesthood. Let me explain this to you. They would take lots, they would go to the priest, they would get all the priests, and you would cast lots. They would pull sticks, and whoever got the short stick is who had to go and do the priestly duty. The odds of this happening to you were once in your entire lifetime. So when you served as a priest, the odds of you going into the temple and making the sacrifice before the altar of God, the Ark of the Covenant, was once in your entire lifetime that it would happen. So it falls upon Zechariah. According to the custom of the priesthood, the honor fell upon Zechariah to enter into the holy place and burn incense before the Lord. A large crowd of worshipers had gathered to pray outside the temple at the hour when incense was being offered. Now when this would happen, because this was such a big deal, the presence of God was not where it is now, where it resides inside of us. God said when Jesus came, he began to live inside of us. He put his laws on our hearts, and now he didn't need an actual temple. He was residing inside of us. But before, the presence of God lived in the Ark of the Covenant, and they would go before the altar, and they would make these sacrifices to God. If you had any sin in your heart, listen to how wild this is. If you had any sin in your heart, you would die right in front of the Ark, and it happened often. So that's why people only wanted to do it once in their life, by the way. They were like, oh, my God, one time is enough for me, okay? And what they would do is they would take a rope, they would tie it to their leg, and it had bells on it. And if the bells ever stopped ringing, they knew that the priest had been struck dead by the presence of God. He had sin in his heart, and they would drag him out. Can you imagine being on that duty like you're on rope duty? You're just like, all right, is it stopped? No, I think I hear something. Nope, he's dead. Pull him out. Like, I do not want that job, by the way. I don't want to be going in there either. So I guess if i got to be one of the two, I'm the rope puller, but I don't want to be either of the two, you know. So he entered in. He was praying. And then all at once, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing right outside the altar of incense. Zachariah was startled and overwhelmed with fear. Let me say this. Every time that anyone ever sees an angel in the Bible... They're like scared to death. Like, I, I have some friends that have said like, oh, I saw an angel, an angel appeared to me. I'm like, what was it like? They were like, it was pretty cool. Like, we just talked. I'm like, I'm going to go ahead and say you're lying. Because like everybody says that they're scared to death when an angel shows up. It's not like the angel showed up and was just like, hey, what's going on, guys? Like, you're just hanging out here? Me too. Let's burn some incense together. And I'm pretty sure it's a scarier thing than that. And so he is terrified. But I love this. Overwhelmed with fear, but the angel reassured him, saying, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God is showing grace to you, for I have come to tell you that your prayer for a child has been answered. <clears throat> your, wife will, your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you are to name him John. I love this little part of the story. I love, we're we're going we're gonna to break down all of it, but I love this little part. Because a moment of fear in Zechariah's life ended up being what was going to be his greatest blessing. And I think oftentimes in our lives, we get into these moments where we're scared. We get into these moments where we step out. We do something new. Maybe you're trying something different, and it's scary, and life is scary, and life is hard. And sometimes it is our greatest fear that we're facing that ends up being the tunnel for our greatest blessing that God wants to bring us. And Zachariah is there before the angel. He is scared to death, and he goes from fear to all of a sudden, now he's going to receive the greatest blessing that he's ever asked for. You know how many nights Zechariah probably prayed for a child? It was a curse for them not to have children. You know how many nights he probably asked God, God, I'm a priest. Why me? Why won't my wife have children? She's the daughter of a priest. Why can't we have? God, what is it about us that we can't have children? And maybe some of you have prayed that same prayer. 
Who knows the nights that he went to sleep with Elizabeth crying on him? Baby, I don't know, but God's going to make it okay. I don't know what's happening, but it's going to be fine. God knows, baby. God knows. And I love this because what this shows is that God knows when to send you your blessing when you need it the most. And he knows not only when you need it the most, but when he knows, he knows when he will get the most glory out of your blessing. Because this child was not just any child. If you're going to have one child in your entire life, having John the Baptist is not a bad child to have. You know, like, like any parent in the world is like, I'd trade my child for John the Baptist. That's pretty good, you know. I called my parents up. I'm like, hey, if you had to have me or John, before I could finish it, they're like, John. I'm like, you didn't even know what John I was going to say. Like, it could have been John that we grew up with. He was a bad guy. They're like, oh, so, sorry. Okay, finish it. John the Baptist is a great child to have if you're going to have one child. God is showing grace to you, for I've come to tell you that your prayer for a child has been answered. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to name him John. His birth will bring you much joy and gladness. Many will rejoice because of him. He will be one of the great ones in the sight of God. He will drink no wine or strong drink, but he will be filled. So we know he's not Cajun. Let me just stop and tell you all right now, that means he was not a Cajun, okay? I am a Cajun. That means John's not a Cajun, I can assure you. But he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even while still in his mother's womb. And he will persuade many in Israel to convert and turn back to the Lord their God. He will go before the Lord as a forerunner with the same power and anointing as Elijah the prophet. He will be instrumental in turning the hearts of the fathers into tenderness back to their children and the hearts of the disobedient back to the wisdom of the righteous fathers. And he will prepare a united people who are ready for the Lord's appearing. Let me, let me stop right there, because I believe the call that he gives John the Baptist is the same call that he gives us today. If you could put up there Ephesians 5 for me, Josh. Ephesians 5. This is Paul now talking to the church. So now Jesus has come. Jesus has been crucified. This is Paul writing to the church. We're jumping a little bit back and forth. And Paul says to the church and to husbands, you are to demonstrate your love for your wives with the same tender devotion that Christ demonstrated to us, his bride. How did Christ do it? For he died for us, sacrificing himself to make us holy and pure, cleansing us through the shower of the pure water of the word of God. All that he does in us is designed to make us a mature church for his pleasure until we become a source of praise to him, glorious and radiant, beautiful and holy, without fault or flaw. And I love this because as I was studying it, the same call that he gave to John the Baptist in that moment was the same call that God gives to us today. That we would prepare for him a church that is pure, a bride for Christ that is holy. That we would as a church unite one together and be able to present to God what he deserves. And I think oftentimes we go, yes, John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus. That is the life of John the Baptist. If you had to sum up John the Baptist and say, what was his life about? He was preparing the way for Jesus. But you know what the great thing about our lives is? If you had to sum up our lives as Christians, as believers, as what God has called us to do, our life is the same call that we are called to prepare the way for Jesus. That as the earth ends and as chaos, as you can look around and see when Revelations, the last book of the Bible, describes what the end of times look like. It gets pretty scary because you start going, man, there's a lot of craziness that resembles that happening now too. And what is our job in the midst of chaos? Our job is to prepare the way for Jesus. Our job as believers is to go out and to proclaim to everyone that we can the love of Jesus. To embrace them. And Jesus, I love when he's describing what it looks like when he comes back. He says, I invited a lot of people and people didn't really show up. So I said, go out to the highways and the byways. Go out and find anyone and invite them in. 
That's where, that's our place in time, just so you know. God has called us as believers to go out and invite just anybody. Be reckless with his love. Be crazy with who we reach. Go out and extend a hand to people that maybe people wouldn't be comfortable extending a hand to. Go out and pick up somebody for church and maybe wouldn't expect you to pick them up for church. To love and embrace people as a church. To prepare the way for Jesus the same way that John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. Back to Luke. Our job is to prepare the bride. And who is the bride? The bride is us. The bride is us. Luke 1.18. We pick it up. Zechariah asked the angel. He said, my, I'm, I'm an old man and my wife is too old to give me a child. Imagine, like we're looking at this going, Zechariah, why would you say that? Okay, it's an angel. I think if I'm Zechariah, I'm thinking the same thing. I'm going like, angel, why would you say that to me? Like, look at me. Like, I'm, I'm 80. There's some things that can't happen with an 80-year-old body, okay? My wife is 80. There are some things that just aren't natural for her to do at 80 years old. I'm an old man. My wife is too old to give me a child. What sign can you give me to prove this will happen? Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I just came from God himself. Literally, imagine that. He goes, I'm Gabriel. I stand next to God. I just came from God. Like, are, are you for real? Like, that's what the angel's saying. That's the modern day translation. You for real? I just came from God. Like, you know, when you're kids and you tell your kids, go tell, you know, I have Eli's my oldest son, Finley's my daughter. Eli, go tell Finley I said this, and I'll hear them arguing. And she'll come down and she'll go, Eli said to do this. I'm like, I just told him to go tell you to do that, okay? Why didn't you listen to him? The angel's going, man, God just told me to come tell you to do this. How, what, you're not going to listen to me? Like, okay. I stand beside God himself. He sent me to announce to you this good news. But now, since you want to be so hard-headed, since you did not believe my words, you will be stricken silent and unable to speak until the day my words have been fulfilled at their appointed time and a child is born to you. I love this because what this is is when we doubt what God has promised us, it silences us from being able to speak it even when we know it's going to happen. Have you ever had a dream in your heart that you knew that you knew that you knew it was going to happen? That you just could feel it with everything in you, that it was supposed to happen, that God called you to do it, that he destined you, that you were born for it. And maybe at some point you started doubting it. And what happens here is he says, because of your doubt, you'll know it's going to happen, but you won't be able to speak it. It's why when people ask me, hey, what do you, think, what do you see of Valley Rise Church in 10 years? I go, I'll tell you everything I see. And people, I tell them, and they go, you really think that can happen? And I, I always say the same thing. God forbid that I'm the person that doesn't speak what God told me in my heart. That I would be the one that when it happens that I can go, I knew that this was going to happen. I knew God was going to do this. God puts dreams in your heart for a reason. He puts desires in your heart for a reason. And our job is not to make them happen. Our job is just to trust God that they will happen and that when he shows up and uh, declares that they will happen, that we can proclaim that he is good and is it because of him and not because of us. He says, because of this, you'll know it, but you won't be able to speak it. That will be your sign. Meanwhile, the crowds outside kept expecting him to come out. The, the rope pullers are getting nervous. They're like, this guy's been in there a while. Like, Elizabeth, your husband got some un unconfessed sin we didn't know about. She's like, I don't think so. So... Meanwhile, the crowds outside were expecting him to come out. They were amazed over Zachariah's delay. They're amazed. That, that means they were scared. That's what that means. That means they were like, this dude's dead in there for sure. He's not coming out. Wondering what could have happened inside the sanctuary. When he finally did come out, he tried to talk, but he couldn't speak a word. 
and they realized from his gestures that he had seen a vision in the holy place. He remained mute as he finished his days of priestly ministry in the temple and then went back to his home. Soon afterwards, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for the next five months. She said with joy, see how kind it is of God to gaze upon me and take away the disgrace of my barrenness. Listen to me, I felt as I was writing this that there's many of you that God is aware of your barrenness in areas. That God is not missing the area that you think he is. God does not oversee the area that you've been waiting for him to see. That he hasn't missed anything that you think when you lay down on the, when you lay your head on the pillow at night and your prayer closet and the times that you spend with him. The lost sibling, the lost child, the lost spouse, the child you wish you could have. God is not missing any of them. He is just waiting for the right time to smile on your barrenness. And he'll wait until the right moment so that when he declares it, not only is it awesome for you, but he gets glory out of it as well. God's desire and smiling on areas of barrenness in our life is never to make us look good. It's always to make him look great. Somebody once told me when someone gives you a million dollars that says not much about you, it says a lot about them. And it's the same concept that when God smiles on areas of our life, Our job is to go, God, you are amazing. Thank you for smiling on this area of my life. You think Elizabeth walked out and was like, I'm 80, but me and Zachariah still get it on. Like, everybody's like, whoa, all right. That's not what she did. She actually went into seclusion. She was like, I can't believe that God is going to give me a child. She doesn't even know what's going to happen with the child because Zachariah can't speak. He can't tell her this child's going to be a great child. He can't tell her God's going to use our child. He can't tell her his name's going to be John. He can't tell her any of this. He's mute. She smiles on him. He, she, he smiles on her. How good is it of God to, take, to gaze upon me and take away the disgrace of my barrenness? I love this because I think in this process, there's a few things that it teaches us about preparing our own lives for Jesus. One of the things that I want to go back to is when, when we begin to doubt, when, she, when the, the angel tells Zechariah, you're going to have a child, and Zechariah says, there's no way, okay. His wife, think, obviously, she thinks that's pretty crazy, too, and I once heard a man say, if God can't get you to doubt him, if the, if the devil can't get you to doubt God, the next thing he'll try and do is get you to doubt you. And we see this play out perfectly here. Because Zechariah trusts God. He's standing before the presence of God. He's in front of the angel that stands next to God all of the time. And yet, so he trusts God. But what does he first go to? He doesn't go that it's not God, it's possible, it's not possible for God to do it. He goes, God, what, how could I do this? Maybe you want to do this, but how could I do this? And what we begin to see is this play out that the enemy is not attacking Zachariah's belief in God. The enemy is attacking Zachariah's belief in him and who God called him to be and what God called him to do. And I feel like there's some of us that oftentimes will go, God, I know you could do anything. But, I mean, it's not that you couldn't do it, God. It's just that I couldn't do it. And I want you to know, don't allow the enemy to cause you to doubt the things that God has put in your heart. Don't allow God, the enemy, to cause you to doubt the dreams and the desires that are inside of you. The things that maybe you've said, maybe I just missed it. You ever have those where you go, maybe I just missed it. I thought it was this, but maybe I just missed it. That the enemy comes to try and get you to doubt the gifting and the callings and the desires and the things that God has put inside of you. When you can't shake your faith in God, he'll try and shake your faith in you. 
And I believe that as believers, we're called to just stand under God and go, God, if you say you can use me to do it, then you can use me to do it. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know why. I don't know where. But I know that if you called me to do this, if you put this in my heart, if you gave me this dream and desire, if you put me in a place to make it happen, and if you're saying it can happen, God, then I'm all in on your dream. I believe that God calls us to be all in on his dream. Let's not be doubters. Our doubt will make us mute. But our obedience will unlock our voice. I love this because the moment where his voice comes back, you can go in and read this story. The moment that his voice comes back is when the baby is born and they say, what will the child's name be? And he writes on a board, the child's name will be John, and his voice comes back. His doubt made him mute, but his obedience opened up his voice. His doubt made him mute. His obedience opened up his voice. God is calling for our obedience and not our doubt. He is calling for us to walk in trust with him. That as we begin to prepare the earth for Jesus' return, as we begin to celebrate Jesus' birth, that we would be a people who can proclaim the word of God, that proclaim the love of God, that can love people and love God with all of our hearts. I think this teaches us a few things. One, I think God is still in the business of showing kindness and taking away disgrace. Some of you may have walked in here today and thought, God, I don't even know why I'm walking into church. I don't even know why I'm walking into church. And if none of you thought that, I thought that when I walked into church, so y'all good. <laughs> I was just having a conversation with someone the other day, and they were telling me, um, they, they said, like, you know, Pastor Christian, you just like, you love God so much. And, and I stopped and I said, I just got home. I'm from Lafayette, Louisiana. I'm a Cajun, okay? I know what you're thinking. No way you're a Cajun wearing jeans that tight. I don't know what to tell you. They converted me. And... Um, I, I, I was just home for Thanksgiving, and I'm there, and all of my friends say the same thing. How in the world are you a pastor? Like, people actually, you like for real preach. I'm like, yeah, that's what I do. They're like, God, we just can't reconcile the old Christian with the new Christian. Like, we're having some issues, like, reconciling those two people. Because I was that guy. I was raised in a preacher's home, but I always said I was never going to be a preacher. I was going to do anything else but preach. I would be, I would, I would be like the trash man before I became a preacher. Like there was so many things of lists in my mind that I was going to do before I preached. And yet God in his kindness saw fit that after my journey of craziness and disobedience to go, listen, you're still good enough to proclaim the word of God. The disgrace that you feel like you've brought on yourself, I can still smile on and bring blessing to. And there's some of you in here that need to know the disgrace that you feel like you've brought on yourself. God is still good enough to smile on and bring blessing to. He's still in the business of bringing kindness and grace to our disgrace. I love that because disgrace, the disgrace that we may feel is the opposite of his grace. It's us falling out of grace. But the beauty of the grace of God is that it's limitless and that it's endless. And that we can come to him at any time and go, God... I love you and I'm here. And he can smile on the areas of our life that feel disgraced and barren. Manuel, you can come as we close. I want to give you three things that I believe that this teaches us to do. Three things. One, I think we got to create time to hear from God. we got to create time to hear from God. And this process of Christmas where it can be chaotic, and I don't know if your life is like my life, but Christmas season, Thanksgiving season, holiday season is chaos. Like, it feels like it goes by so fast. When you were a kid, it felt like it took so long to get there. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes I tell Eli, he's like, how long? His birthday is December 28th. So he actually has, like, birthday and Christmas. So he's like, how long till Christmas? I'm like, bud, we're like, I don't know what's today. I'm like, we're like 20, 22 days away. 
He's like, oh, my God, that's so long. I'm like, that's really not that long. It's going to be here before you know it. He's like, and then when's my birthday? I'm like, well, that's 25 days away. He's like, my birthday's never going to come. Every night. That's, we have the same conversation. My birthday's never going to come. Like, Bubba, just wait, okay? Your birthday's going to come. Chaos for me, my life happens so fast as an adult that it's very hard sometimes for me to create those moments where I can get away with God. For those of you who have kids, like I used to just tell people, wake up early and spend time with God. Till I got kids, and my kids wake up early. Like they wake up earlier than me. Like at 6 o'clock when I get up, they're already out in their drawers watching Spider-Man, Cheerios all over. Like they're, they're already up. I'm like, just going to spend some quiet time with me and God. I open my door, and there's chaos happening in my house. I'm like, I'm going to spend some quiet time back in my bed. Like this is, it is chaos in my house. I got to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to spend time with God alone. But let me tell you this, there is no price too high to pay to encounter God in those moments where the angel shows up and goes, hey, I want to do something special in your life. I want to do something unique in your life. And I've been waiting to spend time with you to tell you about it. I've been waiting to get you alone so I could tell you the great things I want to do inside of you. Make no mistake, God wants to do great things inside of you. You're not too old, you're not too young, you're not too educated, you're not too uneducated, you're not too attractive, you're not too unattractive. God wants to do great things inside of you. But we only find them when we get alone with God. And we go, God, speak to me. What is it that you want to do with me? Some of you, some of you, when I say spend time with God, you may even go, Christian, what does that even look like? And I'm so excited about 21 days of prayer coming in January because I'm going to help you guys walk through that and show you what it looks like to spend time with God. But let me help you out for just, for just start. It's as simple as just taking 10 minutes and getting alone with God and going, God, I love you. Is, is there something you want to speak to me? Is there something you want to put on my heart? Is there something you need me to do, God? And then allowing him to just come. Put on worship music and allow him to just come and speak to your heart. There is no replica for the time spent with God. There is nothing like it. Number two, I think we got to activate our faith. we got to activate our faith. What does that mean? That means believe what God told you he was going to do. Believe what God told you he was going to do. It's not, there's not some trick to it. It's not something you got to say three times and then do this and read the Bible this much. Just believe what God told you he wanted to do in your life. The spouse that's lost that you've been praying for and you go, God, it just seems like it's never going to happen. Just believe that he's going to do what he said he would do. The child you've been praying for, God, I just think it's never. Just believe that God wants to do something in you. That he's got a plan and a purpose for you. That he's not surprised by where you're at. He's not caught off guard by the circumstances you're in. There is nothing surprising to God about where you are at today. Just believe that he's going to do what he said he would do inside of you. And then number three, celebrate his goodness. Celebrate his goodness. I think oftentimes we limit what God may want to do in our life because when God does do something amazing in our life, either we try and take credit for it or we minimize it. And yesterday as I was praying, we had 
We had one person get saved last week. One person. Now, for those of you who don't know my story, I, I'm from the second largest church in America, 70,000 people. There's probably five, 600 people getting saved every Sunday there, 20 campuses. It was amazing. Left there because God called us here to start this church. When we got here, you want to talk about a difference in, in numerical statistics, okay? It is very different. And so I'm getting every week the reports, and I'm going, okay, how many people got One person got saved. And I'm sitting in my office yesterday praying, and I'm going, God, one person? I know I'm preaching better than one person. Like, what is going on? And I was just so reminded that when one person gets saved, all of heaven rejoices. All of heaven rejoices. And I just, I love the thought that when we can take our, our ideas of what's good and our ideas of what we celebrate and our ideas of what we rejoice about and match them with what God's ideas of what we celebrate are, that it changes our perspective entirely. And now that one salvation, I'm able to rejoice with the heavens and all of the angels that one person was saved, that one person's eternity was shifted. And if all of heaven can rejoice over it, God forbid I can't rejoice over it and celebrate his goodness. When we celebrate God's goodness, it prepares the way for him to come and do more amazing things. As we begin this process of getting close to Christmas and seeing, celebrating when Jesus himself actually came, I believe that God's going to do some amazing things in our lives. That as we begin to prepare for heaven, that God's going to begin to answer some prayer requests in our lives. Things that maybe you've dreamed about and hoped for and maybe you've lost hope for them. Things you used to have the faith for, but, but it just feels like you've lost the faith for them now. That now is a great time to turn our eyes to heaven and go, God, if you said you can do it, then you can do it and I'm going to believe you and I'm going to trust you and I'm going to hope and I'm going to grab onto it and I'm not going to let go of that promise until it happens. Because this season is not only a season of giving, this season is a season of receiving. And there is no gift giver like our God. There is no gift giver like our God. When we allow ourselves to prepare the way for heaven, when we look forward to God's goodness, when we celebrate his goodness, when we activate our faith, and when we spend that time with God, we prepare the way for God to do something amazing in our lives. Would you bow your heads with me? Dear God, we're so thankful. We're so thankful that you don't forget about us. That your promises never cease. That your goodness never comes to an end. We're grateful, God, that in the midst of life happening and seeming like us forgetting about what's important or us forgetting about the dreams in our heart, God, that you don't. And that you're still in the business of bringing kindness to our barrenness. You're still in the business of bringing goodness to our barrenness. You're still in the business of smiling on our disgrace. God, I pray today that you would begin to prepare the hearts and minds of each and every person in here to do something amazing inside of them. That this would not be another Christmas season. This would be the Christmas they've looked forward to. The Christmas that marks them. The Christmas that everything changes. The Christmas that the spouse comes back. The Christmas that eternity shifted for one person. The Christmas that a family is restored. The Christmas that a financial means is met. The Christmas that a gift is given that they never expected. God, that this would be the Christmas that everything changes. That as we prepare for heaven to celebrate when heaven came to earth, that we would also prepare our own hearts for heaven to come here. 
We love you, Jesus. And today, we celebrate your goodness. You truly are good. There is no one like you. We're grateful that we get to be a part of building your church, being a part of your story, God. Today, as I was talking, there may be some of you that you say, Christian, this God you talk about that loves me like this, that isn't afraid of my shame, that isn't afraid of my disgrace, that isn't frustrated with with my failures, that can still smile on barren areas of my life. Christian, I've never known that God. Maybe you've known religion or maybe you've known church. Maybe you've never had an intimate relationship with God where you encountered that presence and it changed who you were. It shifted your eternity. And you took on the nature of a loving and kind God. Today I'm going to give you that opportunity with every head bowed and every eye closed. This is between you and Jesus. We're not going to ask you to do anything crazy. We're not going to ask you to come down to the front. I just want to pray for you. So if that's you and you say today, Christian, hey, I I want to enter into a relationship with a God like that. Every head bowed, every eye closed between you and Jesus. If that's you and you say, Christian, that's me, would you please pray for me? Would you raise your hand with me? Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, we were going to pray, and you can repeat this prayer after me. You can say it out loud. You can say it under your breath. You can say it in your heart. This is between you and God, just as long as you mean it is what I ask. Dear Lord Jesus, today I come to you realizing my flaws, realizing my failures, knowing the disgrace in my life. But today I want to meet a good God who can smile on those areas, who can bring grace to my disgrace. Today, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe you came from heaven, died on the cross for my sin, to pay my sin bill, and then rose from the dead so that I could walk in freedom with you. Today, I become a follower of Jesus. I open my life to you, Jesus. Lead me, change me, direct me, grow me. I want to be like you. Now, God, I pray for every single person who just prayed that prayer. I pray that you would seal that in their hearts. I pray that this would be a moment for them in time that they never forget. God, that you would draw them close and you would speak to them. And as they spend that time with you, they would encounter a God who is waiting to talk to them. God, I pray that you would bless them, keep them, watch over them, and protect them. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Hey, would you give a hand to those that just made the greatest decision of their lives? Amen. Amen. Hey, we're so thankful that you came today and worshiped with us. We're so excited about this Here Comes Heaven series. Next week is going to be just as good. I encourage you to invite someone. Um, if you turned in your bags today for the, the toy drive that we're doing, um, then, then great. If you didn't get them today and you're going, gosh, I forgot to bring my bag today, you can bring it. I, I believe you can bring it next week. We'll find a way to get it to the kids. Um, and so, we, hey, we just encourage you to, to participate in that. I'm so proud of you guys. You guys picked up 46 out of the 50 bags that we had for kids. And we're going to go deliver all those toys to kids that wouldn't have a Christmas without that. And so we're so thankful that we're a generous church. We're a church that gives to the world around us. We're a church that's known. We're actually doing a um, lunch in here. Klein Oak messaged us said, hey, we have 30 kids that will not have Christmas this year. So we do a lunch for them. Would you all like to host it?
And um, I'm sorry. <clears throat> I just, I love that we're at church, that the school knows they can call us first, that we're going to step up, that we're going to give kids a Christmas. We're going to give them the greatest lunch they've ever had. We're going to bless them. We're going to do more than what they could ever imagine. That's just, I'm sorry, I get emotional because it's just when you do, when you spend your life building something like this, when people begin to know you for your generosity and for your heart for the city, that means more than you could ever imagine. And that's you guys. That happens because of you. That's not that's not me. I direct that, but that's because of each and every one of you and how faithful you are to, to giving and supporting what we do at Valley Rise. And so we're so thankful for that. Hey, if you came prepared to worship with your tithes and offerings today, we got three ways that you can do that. You can give in an offering envelope. They're going to pass the buckets in just a second. You can also drop your connection cards in there. Um, you can give online at valleyrisechurch.com. Click the giving link, or you can text Valley Rise in the amount to 77296. And like I say every Sunday, just so you guys know my heart, the Bible says every man should decide in his own heart what the Lord would have him give. I will never ask you to give anything. You are a generous church, and I'm so thankful that we lead a church that believes in supporting what God is doing here and reaching the community around us. So thank you for being a great church, Valley Rise. I'm pray we'll bless this, and we'll get out of here. Dear Lord God, thank you so much for each and every person here. Thank you for every gift and every giver, God. That this truly is, God, when we give, we don't give to a church, we give to you. This is our sacrifice and our offering to you, God. And that you would use it to change the world around us. You would use it, God, to impact our schools and our communities and the children that won't have Christmases, God. And all of those that we see, that we would be people, God, that can make a difference in the world around us. And it happens because of those that are seated here. I pray that you would return to them a hundredfold, God, whatever they give to you. Bless them, keep them, watch over them, protect them, and let this be the greatest week ever. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Valley Rise Church. We hope you enjoy today's message and we'll see you soon.